This is a really important passage of Scripture. It's our relationship to what God's Word says in the Old Testament. It's our relationship to Jesus. There are some things in here that are really, really important for us. Today's the first Sunday of the month. I'm glad that our children are up and are going to be able to be with us uh, the whole time. So children, you got your packets, get your outlines. Always have a little treat for our children. Children only, okay, they get their outlines done. Adults, you're here by your own choice, right? <laughs> Fill out your outline, engage. Children love to encourage you. We're glad that you're here. And we'll see how God might speak to you and challenge you. Parents, hey, it's a great way to get back into that outline later on today or throughout this week and to kind of reaffirm, go reprocess some of those truths that we see in this particular passage. Okay, I entitled the message today, One Very Important Sentence. I'm going to get to that toward the end of our time. The truth in verse 20, my opinion, this is not objective, my opinion is one of the most important things uh, that we can learn in the New Testament. It's a very, very, very important sentence. And I'm going to explain to you why this morning as we go along. So in that, I typed in Google, important literary sentences. All right, so I want to see if anybody can get this. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Anybody know that line? All right, I have officially stumped you. You never know what's going to happen when you, when you ask if somebody knows that. That is a quote from Gandalf in The Fellowship of the Ring. All right, a quote from Gandalf in The Fellowship of the Ring. Now, you might have had to read The Fellowship of the Ring. I have never read the whole thing, uh, and so I wouldn't have been able to get that either. I'm with all of you. Uh, but if you, if you type that in and you're curious too, you like you know, books and you like literature and you want to know like, hey, what are some of the most famous and important quotes uh, that are out there? Uh, you'll probably see some of those. And I, I hope that's the spirit today uh, that we uh, approach this. Let's lay a little bit of groundwork and start off in verse 17. Uh, we are going to do a contrast in our first two points. We find out first, uh, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to. Abolish the law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. So in getting to this, I'll be uh, in teacher mode for just a little bit with you this morning. You might wonder, what is he referring to? What is the law or the prophets? The law is a couple different things. It can be referred to in a couple different ways. One is the specific set of 619 laws that are found in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Some people refer to that as the law. Bible scholars would refer to that as the law. The law is also referred to as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch is your fancy, fancy word uh, from Bible scholars. But some people will say the law is the first five books of the Bible. The law and the prophets... Okay, the prophets are, are those that we recognize who had uh, prophetic gifts and spoke in a, a way that was different from telling history. They uh, kind of 
commentated on history and sometimes looked to the future. And so Jesus, he is a different teacher. Everybody knows when he arrives that he is different. He is speaking with power. He's doing miracles. And his, his statement here in, in Matthew 5, 17, it's part of this passage that helps us to have an understanding to God's word. Do we just throw out everything that's in the Old Testament and ignore it? What do we look to? What do we try to implement in our lives? What does what is Jesus posture toward that? All right, so that's a little bit about understanding what the law is. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is teaching this sermon to help his disciples understand what it is to relate to God properly. How should we be oriented to God? So uh, it started out with the Beatitudes. Uh, be blessed, blessed is uh, happy, a blessed life. So it started out with how to have a, a blessed life then in God's eyes. Then came uh, some teaching about salt and light, that if our lives as followers, committed followers of Jesus Christ, are really changed, we're going to stand out. And then now we get this challenge today about Jesus did not come to abolish the law. If he, if he did, if he came to throw the law out, he wouldn't have based so much of his teaching on some of those books. Here in John 3, we get an example he, and he talks about Moses, who's one of the main characters in the law. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is about how to get into heaven. And Jesus, in, in these passages, is showing us that he is the way to heaven. John's gospel does that. And, and how does he illustrate that? He goes back to what we might understand as the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he brings up a story from Moses lifting up a serpent in the wilderness for the healing of the people. And he makes that connection to his teaching about how, how we can find eternal life. And so if Jesus was coming to completely abolish the law, he wouldn't have used all these references to God's word and to his work with the Jewish people as we find it in the Old Testament. Okay, he's not abolishing the law. Think about how we would normally think about that word. Widely understood usage of uh, abolish is our historical understanding. Some of our children may have studied this in school. Is the abolition of the practice of slavery. People were called abolitionists in the sense that they, they fought and advocated for the abolishing of this practice to put it away and so it's in that sense that Jesus said I didn't come to to nullify or to put away what's in the Old Testament he didn't want to do that all right but he did come to fulfill them he did come to fulfill them I've not come to abolish them second half of 17 but to fulfill them now does this mean that there aren't parts of the law that we don't follow anymore? I, there are. There are parts that, you know, I don't take my, my dieting cues from the Old Testament. We're going to talk about that. Why don't we follow strictly all the dietary laws that are laid out in here? We're going to give an example of that in a minute. Jesus came to fulfill the law. I'm using his words. I don't want to confuse you. It just takes a little bit of work to observe what's going on and understand it. All right, so a couple of examples here. One is a general posture that Jesus takes 
toward the law and the prophets. This scene is from Luke 24, and it's right after Jesus rose from the dead. He's walking to a place called Emmaus, and he is talking to some disciples who doesn't, they don't realize that he is the risen Lord. They don't, they don't have that quite figured out. And here's, oh, well, let's just do this one first. I'm going to fake you out. Let's go to Luke. We'll come back to Mark. Since I'm, since I'm talking about Luke, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Luke first. All right, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this is how Jesus meets people after he's risen from the dead. And he doesn't tell them, hey, you can forget all about the Old Testament and just follow me now. <laughs> he bases his lordship on his fulfillment of the things he finds in what? In Moses and all the prophets. He is fulfilling things that we see in the law and the prophets. This is the second half of verse 17. This is Jesus' general posture. Now, I'm going to go backward. You saw the verse there in Mark chapter 7, 18 and 19 pop up. This is a specific discussion that Jesus is having. Now, mind you, this is before his death. This is before his resurrection. This is a specific discussion that he's having in the topic of the dietary laws comes up. Here's what it says. And he said to them, then, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Those parentheses in that statement are not mine <laughs> as a teacher. Those are the word of God. Mark reported that to us to show that in talking about the purity of a body, it's not what comes from outside the body, it comes, it's the heart. And this is what Jesus is after in the entire Sermon on the Mount, is our heart, our heart condition before God. And so we see that uh, in saying that Jesus declared that all foods are clean. And so even in his teaching ministry, he is showing us and giving us a glimpse and a window into how he is fulfilling some of the dietary laws. He's declaring that foods are clean and no longer is there going to be a hierarchy of different types of uh, animals that you can eat or can't eat. All right, so in that sense, he comes to fulfill the law. Eighteen, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And then in 19, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. General statement here, I want you to notice how amazing the role of God's word is. It's easy to get caught in the weeds of these two verses that you see on the screen. And if you still have your Bible open, if you're looking at 18, you're looking at 19, it sounds pretty pressure-packed. If you do this, you're least in the kingdom of heaven. If you do this, then you're great in the kingdom of heaven. That, and some of this is related to relaxing commandments. Well, I don't want to relax a commandment and be less in the kingdom of heaven but I just found out that Jesus said that all foods are clean and so some of the 
some of the dietary laws. What, what is this? Does God just want us to be confused about what we're supposed to do? Well, stay with me. First of all, let's think small in verse 18. <laughs> An iota or a dot are little strokes of the pen, not even whole letters. They're just the tiniest strokes of the pen that, that had an inflection in the language. And, and Jesus says, in helping the believers, committed followers, understand their relationship to God's word, that not one of the smallest strokes of a pen in the word as it was written down will pass away until all is accomplished. That's incredible. Every single word, every single inflection, every single breath, every single thing about the language that we see written from Genesis to Malachi is the word of God. And we believe the same about everything from Matthew to Revelation in the New Testament. The word of God. All of it is the word of God. The God who created this world, he spoke into it by inspiring people to write it down for him so it could be passed from generation to generation and then ultimately translated. Don't want to get into the weeds of all the specifics without first saying the word of God is amazing. All right, and so in that sense, there is no way for us to be right with God and growing in any kind of a committed relationship to Jesus as his follower without growing in the word of God. We can't. He gives us his word. It's why people like Dan translate the Bible. Other missionaries that we support are, are working to get the word of God into native languages so people can have it. It's so important. God brings the word of God to bear on your life and my life and people's lives throughout the world. No way to be right with God without the Bible. Now, that said, not many people in our culture are lifting up the importance of the Bible. Generally, everywhere we look, it seems like people are finding creative ways to lift up values that are opposed to the Bible. All right, so not many people are lifting up the importance of this. So I want to stop on this and say, it is so amazing the way Jesus teaches this. I hope it excites you. And if you've been a little passive towards your relationship with God and his word, there's all kinds of ways to access it. You can read it. You can get little plans on your phone and do a little bit a day. And you can even press a button and it'll read it to you. If you're not the best committed reader, you can listen. You can access and consume the word of God in so many ways. So at some level, I've been hoping and praying that today would be a, a refresh for our excitement for hearing and experiencing God's word. Just last week, I talked to a guy. Uh, we were talking about Jesus. And we're trying to help him understand the truth of, of how, to, how to be saved. And he said that he believed in God, but that God, he didn't think God created the world, and that he didn't think Jesus was born of a virgin, uh, but that he did believe in Jesus, and he loved Jesus' teachings. And I thought my conversation with this guy was pretty indicative of the way a lot of people approach the Bible. 
you kind of pick and kind of choose and kind of say, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I won't, I'll ignore this part over here that really says something strong about something that, hey, maybe I don't really want to obey that or follow that. All right, the Bible is not for picking and choosing. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus is raising the bar way up high about what we think of God's word. There's no other way to interpret what he's saying here. Okay, now, specifically, it all points to Jesus. We saw that in Luke 24. And so let's get into a little bit here about relaxing. Uh, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, are we in danger because we don't follow the dietary laws anymore? Does that mean that we are in danger of being least in the kingdom of heaven because we're relaxing those commands? Is Jesus saying, like, both things? What is, he didn't say he's coming to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. Well, didn't we see in the passage in Mark that Jesus made it clear that he's fulfilling that part of the law? And so if we don't use the dietary laws, we're, we're just going along with what Jesus has made clear that he's fulfilled. He's not abolished it. We're not relaxing something that Jesus is saying he's already fulfilled. Okay? If Jesus has fulfilled it, then we don't need to observe it. Did anybody bring an animal to church today to sacrifice? I don't hear anybody. No? Okay, that was all over the law in the Old Testament. Food offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings, animal sacrifices. We'll celebrate communion in a few moments. We trust that Jesus has fulfilled the sacrificial system. He's fulfilled it. So where Jesus has fulfilled, we're not relaxing. We're acknowledging that he's fulfilled. The amazing role of God's word. We look back in the law and we find many things. We find love your neighbor as yourself. We find great moral laws. We adhere to those. Of course, Jesus fulfills those. He repeats a lot of those teachings in the New Testament. We continue to abide by those. We're not just picking and choosing, but we have to be careful with what Jesus has fulfilled. That's a little bit of a, a guide there. On Am I relaxing on some of those commandments? Am I, am I not? Um, if, you're, if you're curious about that, let that be some of your framework as you do some more uh, investigation there. All right. This gets us to the gets us to the main, main point. You wonder, what, why in the world did I title this one very important sentence? <laughs> All right, we're going to get to uh, verse 24. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a very powerful verse. I think it's one of the most important sentences in the entire New Testament. I really do. Now, I'm not trying to encourage you to be distracted. You're coming up with your own top ten in the pew. Do that later, okay? But, but just stay with me today on why would I think that? Why is this such an important piece of what Jesus teaches? All right, we'll, we'll characterize it here. We never underestimate the role of faith. We cannot underestimate it. It's what Jesus is after, even though the word faith doesn't appear in this. All right, let's talk about this. What is 
the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Because he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is about being rightly related to God on this earth. Kingdom of God is here. Kingdom of heaven, future, right relationship with God now and forever. If we miss this, we will not have a relationship with Jesus that will live forever. That is really important. <laughs> and that's what Jesus said. He's raising the stakes. This is really important. You have to get this right. Okay, so let's think about things that human beings are pretty curious about. How, how do I have a relationship with God? How is God ever going to forgive me? A lot of times that comes up. Well, in the law... You bring the right offering, the right thing. You, you follow the right procedure if something's gone wrong. And it, it appeases your conscience until it happens again. And then you come back and do the same thing. All right, so let me, let me just say this. Let me be clear. If you wanted God to forgive you for your sins and you went to him the day that you meet him and you said, hey, I worked really hard on this and I didn't really break too many of those laws... I did pretty well overall, I think, compared to most people. He wouldn't care. He wouldn't care about your work and your effort as it relates to having a right relationship with him and living with him forever. It doesn't matter. We have to confront whatever is in us that, that wants to compare itself to somebody else or to feel good because we've accomplished this or because we've come this far. He wouldn't care. It wouldn't matter one iota or dot. Oh, you see what I did there? wouldn't matter that much to God. Okay, let's talk about heaven. Getting in is not about some cosmic or heavenly report card. Doesn't require a certain number of good works or characteristics. He won't forgive you based on your characteristics. He won't let you into heaven based on your characteristics. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus cannot be more clear or more explicit. How about growing in Jesus? How about you committed to Jesus a while ago, or many years ago, or many decades ago? And now your view of growth is just primarily a list of comparisons to somebody else and why I'm farther along than those people. That's not growth. God doesn't care about our ability to justify ourselves. So you might be questioning today, why did I say never underestimate the role of faith? It has to do with the word righteousness. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, we want something different than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Not just different, but better, exceeds, goes beyond, higher. We have to have a righteousness that's better than what they offer. They offer the follow the rules route. They offer the justify yourself compared to other people option. 
And Jesus is laying waste to that mindset. We have to do the same. We have to think like Paul in Philippians. Here's what he writes. This is the Apostle Paul whose life was radically transformed by Jesus. Acts chapter 9 is your reference if you want to go and read that story. Here's what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. All right, Paul is kind of boasting about his religious credentials. He was a Pharisee. He was from the, the tribe of Benjamin. He knew the law. He was zealous about it. And he is telling these believers in Philippi, I have the qualifications that would set me apart from somebody else. I compare very favorably as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He even uses the word righteousness. The righteousness under the law, he said, I'm blameless. I am fulfilling the law, the commandments. I'm doing it very, very well at a high level. But in verse 9, he points us in a different direction. He doesn't stand on those qualifications. He's like Jesus. He tells us they won't work. Look what it says, be found in him, in Jesus. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There it is. There's the connection between this word righteousness that Jesus uses and faith. Paul is the embodiment of the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees before he met Jesus. Not many Jewish leaders would have compared more favorably than Saul of Tarsus, who was also called Paul. Not many, if if any, at that time. He was the cream of the crop. And he explicitly mirrors Jesus' words in saying, it's not enough. All of my religious qualifications aren't enough. They don't mean anything to God when it comes to establishing and maintaining maintaining a relationship with Jesus. We have to come to Jesus in faith, ask him to forgive us and trust fully that he died on a cross for us was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead, we come to him in faith, we establish a relationship with him in faith, and we grow in faith as we we grow away from sin and we experience God's power in our lives and victory when we're not sinning anymore. It's not because of our own effort. It's because we're walking in faith and allowing the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in us to achieve those victories. This whole sermon revolves around the development of character. And Jesus, over and over and over, is going to show us that it's not about our own strength. 520 is the the centerpiece of that teaching. And the rest of these are examples of whether we're living that way or not. We don't grow out of the power of our own decisions. We grow because the Holy Spirit is in us. We don't will our way to obeying laws or moral commands. We walk in faith and we let Jesus guide us. We let the Word of Jesus in the Gospels and the letters to the churches, we let them guide us. They challenge our hearts to the highest levels of purity and morality that anyone can imagine. And you may seem like, oh, that's overwhelming. I'm such a failure. God wants us to grow. So it's it's equal parts challenge and hope. And so on the challenge side today, I want to say, are you walking in faith 
When was the last time something in your life, a decision, a pulling away from sin, a, a trying to conquer it, when was the last time, or trying to reach out to somebody, be more effective in ministry, when was the last time something required faith? I hope all the time is the answer. That we're fueled by walking in faith and submission to the Holy Spirit. So it's, we're challenged in that way. We're challenged to high characteristics. We're challenged because God tells us that's what he wants. We want to experience it. It's possible. Why would he teach it if it wasn't? Today, one really, really important sentence. We see how Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. We see the, the bearing of the word of God in our lives. Praise the Lord. For his work. It is a really important sentence. The concept of faith. I pray that it will be our hope and our guide.